Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. This morning, if you will allow me for the next few minutes, speak to you, I believe, on a very, very special topic, topic of conversation. Uh, we've been speaking of the power of the Lord. We've been speaking of the power of His Holy Spirit. We've been speaking of His power to heal. We know God is able to give us something else that is equally as important that will help us carry on in our walk with God until we see Him, as we've just said, face to face in glory. And that is that God has offered us joy. I want you to think about that for a second as I begin to talk to you. I'm hoping not to be able to ravel in my words I'm transitioning from Spanish to English right now, and I'm looking at my sermon in a different language now. So please uh, trust me, I'm doing my best, and, and I pray that you would pray for me as I deliver this to you, that it might become understandable. Because I believe that the principles that we'll learn this morning are going to bless your life. For everyone on social media, thank you for tuning in uh, our program over whatever platform you may be watching us on everything that we offer you. Thank you. I pray that you continue watching this service. It's going to bless you. I believe it beyond a shadow of a doubt and every one of us here as well. For those on social media, if you were not able to come, we pray that the Lord bless you right where you're at. And for the rest of us, I'm hoping that once you get that chance to come back, you would come back to the house of the Lord. It is absolutely awesome to be in this place today. Can the church say amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The title of my conversation this morning with you is simply, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. I want you to think about that for a moment because we're going to learn about those things that should bring us true joy and how the Lord affords us that joy to become a point of strength in our lives. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And let's use Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 and on as a platform scripture by which we can stand this morning and converse about this particular subject. Nehemiah 8 verse 9 reads as follows. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest scribe and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day, everyone say this day, is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And he explains to us the reason behind them saying that is simply because we are told for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. There was a wailing going on as these men began to read God's word. And so in a loud voice, they, <coughs> in unified manner, they all Shout out to the people saying, This day is sacred unto the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drink, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Again, this day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Put your hand over your heart this morning. Father, I pray. If anything else, Lord, we might take this morning from your word 
a truth, Lord, that will birth that joy you desire us all to have. And Father, that you would found that joy on confidence, that you would set that joy upon the firm foundation of us knowing your heart more this morning towards us. So much bitterness in this world, Lord. So much sadness. So many things in our daily lives around us and in the lives of those we love. So many things that come on a daily basis attacking our joy. And so, Father, today in protection of that joy, Father, we run to you. And we ask you that in the name of Jesus, through these words today, anointed by your spirit, you would come and inject deep within us, Lord, in that unerasable ink of your blood, the truth that you desire all of us to celebrate and to be joyful in you. These things we ask, we receive, and we pray in the name of Jesus, your Son, and our beloved Savior. And everyone says, and everyone says, so be it. Amen. The people of Israel, this is who we're talking about at this moment. In the presence of the prophet, the governor, and other teachers of God's word speaking to these people. Now, concerning the people of Israel, we know that they were a chosen people. <coughs> they were a ransomed people. And they were a people of promise. We know all of this. Historically, we see it in Scripture. The word testifying over and over how the Lord calls them the apple of his eye. His peculiar people. A royal priesthood. Obviously, God has a deep passion and love for his people. But in spite of all the things that I'm telling you this morning concerning them, chosen, ransomed, and promised... This people continually seem to suffer great consequences for their continued rejection and rebellion against God. In this passage, we see Ezra, the priest, read and recite God's word, the law of the Lord, to this people. And instead of finding joy in the reading of God's word, these people, the Bible says, were torn apart. It reminds me of the Apostle Peter coming down from the upper room in the book of Acts. When he began to share the gospel to those that were listening to the movement of the Holy Spirit. That when Peter began to testify concerning the salvation of Christ and who Christ was, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. It cut them. And so we see the same thing echoed here in this particular instance where these people were cut to the heart and they began to wail and to weep. And it's obvious to suppose that the reason they were weeping is because once they read God's word, they were able to understand. They came to a realization that they willingly denied God. And they're rejecting his teachings and his commandments and his plan for their lives. And they fell because of that disobedience in a great rebellion. And so obviously what 
caused them to weep was great guilt. And they were in exile, the Bible says. Now, this exile, we'll talk about just a little bit. It was born in brutality. It was to an ugly people they were taken hostage by. And not only did they hurt them physically, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll find out what these things, these people went through, the things that they went through. To find that not only did they suffer in their bodies, but they also suffered in their minds. They were etched in their mind in a very deep way. They were emotionally distraught. So they were in bad shape both physically and emotionally. You see, they remembered at that moment, I can imagine as they were reading God's word, how years ago one day, for some strange reason, they began to think that life without God was possible. That they could indeed find peace and joy and satisfaction in their lives without God. But in a moment, they found out that they were nothing without God. They came to their senses and they realized that without the land and without the temple and without God, they had absolutely nothing. The only thing they had to remember now was how they were prisoners in Egypt way back then from where the Lord delivered them in the first place. How could they relate to God in that position that Nehemiah found them? When everything that pointed to them that they had a relationship with God. All the proof that was in their lives. The blessing and, and the protection and the comfort. And the direction that they received from God. All of that was gone. So how could they prove to anybody that God was with them? You know this often happens to Christians today and I'm sure yesterday. For some Absolutely outlandish reason. Sometimes we become numb in our minds and hearts and we begin to think that an ideal life can be found outside of the purpose of God for our lives. That we can find goodness and we can find peacefulness and we can find blessedness out of the will of God. Without a relationship in the house of God, without a relationship with his word, without a relationship with the saints of God. Without a continual rehearsing of God's word daily and spending time in intimacy and prayer, somehow this stupor takes over our minds and hearts and we begin to think, ah, I'll be okay without God. We are advised in Scripture and commanded in Scripture that we should always continuously take inventory in our lives in regards to our relationship with God. We should ask ourselves often, if not daily, as we look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we full of God? Are we walking with God today? Or am I trying to live my life on my own? It happens a lot to Christians. We see it all the time. From people who used to know that we're on fire for God, all of a sudden they're out living in this sin-filled world and living their lives outside of God's plan and you try to talk to them and they hide behind the facade of I'm happy everything's okay and you know their hearts are riddled and torn 
But it's that arrogance that the enemy comes to place in their hearts and says, I, I don't need God. We take that pharisaical attitude, who is this God that I should obey him? <coughs> but in this story, ladies and gentlemen, we can learn a lot. And I would advise you when you take time, take time to read the book of Nehemiah. And you'll learn a lot about you. You learn a lot about the church. You learn a lot about me. We learn a lot about each other. We learn about, a lot about how the enemy handles you when you walk out of the will of God. But we also learn this very important on which I want to lean on this morning. We learn so much about how God loves us in spite of our rebellions. Isn't that special even to hear? We are people of a lot of mistakes. Can you say amen? If you're not going to say amen, I'll raise my hand and I'll say amen. We are a people of many mistakes. But in this story, we see a proof of God's continual love for his people. Though it was a costly walk, if you'll read their story, let me just paraphrase. I don't want to go through their story. It'll take too much time this morning. But let me just paraphrase a little bit to you, bring you up to speed to where we're at. We have Nehemiah who's appointed as a cupkeeper to the, to the king of that time. And being a Jew himself and belonging to the holy city at one time. But knowing that they were in exile, the enemy came and destroyed the temple of God. And the story quickly says that he was sadness his heart because every time he looked at the holy city, he saw it in ruins. And the story goes that he came to the king and he said, listen, I... Uh, the king noticed that he was sad. He said, what's wrong with you? He said, well, how can I be happy when the house of the Lord is torn up? Everything that represents who we are is gone. And he understood it was because of the rebellion of the, rebellion of the people. He lost everything. Their lives were torn. They had nothing of value in their lives because of their waywardness. And so the only thing that he could think of is to come back and rebuild again. The reconstruction of this temple, which to us means this, that any time you walk away from God, ladies and gentlemen, there's always a rebuilding that has to happen. And that's a challenge. It's easier said than done. Oh, I'll just let the Lord refurbish me. It's not that easy. It's labor. And the story of these people shows us how difficult it is many times to rebuild what you once had in the Lord. If you read their story, they faced so many challenges that came to stop their pursuit of coming back to God. All the way from the gossiping of evildoers and evil talkers and coming to the king and giving them gossip about them, trying to get the king to change his mind about the law and the permission he had given them to rebuild, to stop them. The people and the unbelievers themselves taking it upon themselves to go threaten these people and mock them as they were all working to rebuild the temple. So much that even their lives were threatened. That the Bible says that when they were laboring, rebuilding the temple, some of them had to stand back to back with them with their swords drawn to protect whoever was going to come and hurt them to stop them from rebuilding the temple. It's a challenge. And it shows us a lot, ladies and gentlemen, if we ever consider walking away from God, it's easy to walk away from God. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I know that millions can testify it's much so difficult to come back.
so difficult to come back. So it's important for us as we read this story to learn certain things. That it's always good to think of the cost. It will cost us to come back after a thoughtless decision to walk away. These are the, some of the events that happened during the times of Nehemiah. But there is something so special in this story that I want to minister to you and apply to your heart this morning. I don't want to focus on their mistakes. But I do want to focus how in spite of their rebellions and how far they had fallen, still we see a God that is relentless in his reaching out to his people. God loves you. I said God loves you. That needs to become more than just my words to you. That needs to become your understanding of the heart of God. When I say to you, God loves you, you go beyond what I say and you look at his heart and know that what I say is only testifying to whom it is that offers you that love. God loves you. How many times, ladies and gentlemen, have you and I experienced the love and favor of God that helps us come back from some silly move that we made to walk away from him? How many times have we experienced the favor of God when you and I have rubbed shoulders with things that have broken the heart of God and yet in spite of what you've done, you've sensed the warmth of his Holy Spirit drawing you in back into the arms of your loving Savior. You see, these people, because of their rebellions, had fallen by the wayside and caused themselves to fall into exile. Now, that's a completely important part of the story we need to talk about. Exile, by definition, means when you are forced to leave your country or your home or the place you are used to living in and caused or, or forced to live in some foreign country or foreign place. That is to move you out to a place that is strange to you. And this is exactly what happens to Christians that walk away from God. You are forced to move out from that customary place you are used to living in the presence of the Lord to some usual, unusual foreign place in the world. And this is who these people were. They fell into a live, lives of great disappointment, lack, famine, and frustration. And as we've learned, not so much had this devil taken them as prisoners and destroyed all that would even point to their once relationship with God. But he hurt them emotionally as well. Made sure that the temple was destroyed. Now, when we look at the temple, that represents a lot in the life of a believer. When the devil comes to destroy your life or you make a silly decision to walk away from God, the first thing the enemy is going to do is destroy the temple. Because a temple in this story represents a lot about us. That means that when they saw the temple destroyed, that means that their place of worship was destroyed. And that's what the enemy will do with someone who walks away from God. He will destroy the temple of your worship. You can't worship anymore. He'll rob that from you. These people were yearning in their heart to worship, but everything about their worship was gone. It was in rubbles. The temple was destroyed. And what does that mean? That the fellowship with the saints 
was destroyed. They used to go to the temple and fellowship and encourage each other as the word tells us. To encourage each other as we see the day approaching. That was over. Nobody was fellowshipping anymore. And that's what the devil does when you walk away from God. He will destroy your fellowship. This is why when people walk away from God, they walk away from the church. And this is the place where you meet people of like faith who will pray for you and encourage you. But these people saw that temple and they had nowhere to go with people of like faith. It was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And what this also means to us is they had lost every leader, every pulpiteer that worked in the temple that was always in front of them, encouraging them to continue in the Lord. The pulpits were empty. There were no pulpits for them to listen to. There was no pastor. There was no preacher, no teacher to say, what are you going through, trouble? This is what the Word of God says. Be encouraged and move forward. There was nobody there. The temple was destroyed. We can learn a lot about what it is to fall astray. Powerful lessons, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to take our heart. But again, I regress a little bit and tell you that even in the midst of this tremendously powerful experience, the Lord is reaching out to them continuously. And we are told in Scripture by the miracle of God that amongst the reconstruction of this temple in the rubble, they found the word of the Lord. They found the book of the law. We are told that on the 18th year of Josiah's reign, the work had begun in the temple. And Hilkiah, the high priest, the Bible says, found the book of the law in the house of the Lord or the remains of the house of the Lord. And when they found it, after a while, they took it to Nehemiah, the governor, and Nehemiah gave it to Ezra. And they began to read and teach the people. They tried to bring them back to the word of God. And we are told that God's word was read to these people. And this is where we find the words, as we have titled this sermon, the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, the joy of the Lord is our strength is a very popular phrase. Uh, there are numerous songs and poems and writings concerning this particular phrase in Scripture. The strength of the Lord. I'm sorry, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There songs galore. And the reason we... We read them or we sing them is because we encourage ourselves by listening to these words. And we also use them to encourage others by the reading, singing, or offering these words. But, but I ask you this morning, what does it really mean to be and to have the joy of the Lord? And how is it that the Bible says that this joy brings you strength? First of all, let me tell you this morning and speak to you a little bit about joy. Let me ask you, are you joyful? Are you happy? Well, I can tell you're rejoicing. But are you happy? Or have you allowed the turmoil in this world, the mishaps of this world to drain you of that joy? 
and you still want to be a Christian. You're still trying to live a Christian life. Let me tell you something about joy and hopefully give you more responsibility and how you should protect that joy every day of your life, regardless of the circumstance you may face. Joy is fundamental in our relationship with God. It is a foundation which the Lord has laid on which we should walk daily in his presence. We should walk in his presence with joy. In other words, what I am saying to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is that it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Tell your neighbor it's impossible. They're not going to believe you, but say it's impossible. To be living in the Lord, to be walking in the Lord daily, to be fellowshipping with his Holy Spirit, to have God's word rehearsed in your life on a daily basis without joy. Impossible. To have no joy and call yourself a Christian is a misrepresentation of Jesus. You can't represent Christ with a bitter tongue. You can't represent Christ like this. My face is naturally like that. Let me prove it to you. Look at your neighbor on either side. Choose one. Now I want you to make a face like me. Some of you may have trouble making a face like me. I said some of you. And do this. Some of you still look pretty even like now you're not posing for a selfie. Now I want you to look at your neighbor like this. Rene. God loves me. Brother Rene. God loves you. Brother Rene. God loves us both. You can't do it, can you? You're going like, really? You can't do it. It's a misrepresentation of whom Christ is. Now, turn around to your neighbor, smile at him, and say, you know, God loves us. It's just more acceptable. Isn't it? Brother Rene, God loves us, man. Isn't that awesome to think God loves you and me? He loves you, loves me, loves us. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. How much more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. But what if I say, oh, how he loves you and me. You won't believe me. It's a misrepresentation of who Christ is. So joy is fundamental in our salvation. Let me, some of you are having trouble believing it. Let me take you back. We just passed Christmas. I told the church this morning, let me take you back to the nativity scene, to Christmas time, all except, by the, except the gifts because we're financially distraught because of that now. But let me take you back to the nativity scene. 
And I want to take you back to the experience of those there in that place where the angels visited. What was it that the angel said? And I'll prove my point. Luke 2 and 10 says, but the angel said to them, this is the first announcement of the coming Messiah. This is the first statement made to the people, to the world that were going to receive this Savior. They said, and the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great what? Say it. Some of you haven't said that word in years. Say it. Joy. Joy is mine. I bring you great news of great joy. You see, joy is one of the firm foundations on which Christ came to place in us. This is why, again, I say to you, it's important for us to protect our joy. The devil is always trying to steal our joy of salvation that we have found and been given in Christ. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This is the message of Nehemiah and the teachers of that time to the people that were wailing. We have testimony here where we see a people who had lost their way because of their rebellions, but they, God came to remind them that the joy that they had won lost was still available for them today. And today we can understand the same. Any one of us who at one time or the other may have rubbed our shoulders with something maybe that offended the heart of God. We need to understand that God is always ready to give us that joy. To birth that joy afresh in our lives that we can enjoy our walk with God. God wants a happy people. I think one of the greatest reasons people don't believe in God or want to trust Jesus is because we're just as bitter as they are. Amen? Wow, that's a good place to shout me down. They won't believe in a Savior that has them bitter just like they are. Do you need that joy today? You can be honest with yourself. God knows. Let me help you to find direction to get that joy. Let me just give you two principles if I can just in the next few quick minutes. Number one, if you want joy... And this is, I believe, the greatest lesson or one of the greatest lessons we learned from this experience where these people got to hear God's word again. That whole experience where they came back, that whole repented moment, that whole wailing moment. Joy comes from us understanding truly who God is. Comes from us understanding truly who God is. It is after the children of Israel returned to Jerusalem from their exile by the grace and the help of God, allowing them to find God's word, that they began to listen to God's word, and they began to cry. Let's read about that. Nehemiah 8 and 8. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving them meaning so that the people could understand what was being said. Then Nehemiah, the governor... And Ezra the priest and scribe and Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is sacred. That is, that moment was sacred unto God. And they commanded them to stop weeping. Now, it's a common opinion, again, I say amongst many pulpiteers to assume, and it's safe to assume that the people cried because once they read the word of God, they understood how they had messed up. 
And God's word does that really well. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us. When we mess up, you read God's word, it hurts. Again, I take you to the upper room and, and Peter experience. Uh, that's why the people were cut in the heart because they found out that the Savior of the world who intended everything positive for them, they ended up crucifying and killing. That's why I said the Christ that you crucified. What he wanted was to save your soul. And they felt guilt and they began to cry. And so these people, we can assume that they cried for the same very reason. They knew that they had offended the heart of God. But please notice this whole experience. I want you to picture Nehemiah, the rest of the guys, the teachers, and a thousand million people. Just a lot of people wailing. And, you know, and back then in, in Jewish times, during that time, repentance, ladies and gentlemen, wasn't just simply an I'm sorry for those people. When the people repented back then, what they would do is that they would tear their clothes. And they would completely nude themselves and cast themselves upon ashes and sit there for days. They would fast and not even their animals and homes would, would eat. No one would eat. They would have set a fast before the Lord in regret and repentance for what the Lord found them doing. So you can imagine now. A million people before these guys, everybody wailing and tearing their clothes and weeping. It was a horrible sight, a, a terrible time of mourning as if somebody had died. But please notice something that it makes me giggle a little bit, but yet it's so awesome because I see the heart of God. And this is where we're going this morning, to know the heart of God. Nehemiah interrupts them crying. I told the church this morning, it's kind of when somebody's crying, like, hey. hey. And you get that, you keep that, you freeze that ugly face. They don't even let you cry peacefully. You know, he interrupted their wailing. And it almost seems, if, if you and I were there, maybe we would have told Nehemiah, hey, let them cry for a while. Let them know what it feels, to offend, what it feels like to offend God. Isn't it like us, ladies and gentlemen, when your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, or whoever it is, they commit something that kind of hurts your feelings, and, and you punish them, and they start crying, and what do you do? It's, you don't immediately comfort them. You turn around and say, well, let them cry for a little while so they'll know how deep a situation it was. Maybe they'll learn not to do that again. We do that to the children, don't we? Go to your room. You come out next week. Go to bed, you're not having supper. I wasn't going to lend you the car, I'm not going to lend you nothing anymore. It's always punishment. Because you want them to understand the gravity of their sin and their mistake. But it's, we see a different picture here. And Nehemiah didn't allow them to peacefully wail and completely destroy themselves in repentance before the Lord. He shouted to them in the midst of their wailing. He said, hey, enough. Stop your wailing. You're missing the point. You're sitting here mourning because you're thinking God is condemning you. You think that God is edging you out. When indeed what God is doing is resurrecting you and God is bringing you in. There's a difference in the story. Something so important to understand that these people thought that reading God's word and it was expressing how righteous God is. And they began to see how unrighteous they were and how holy God is and how unholy they were. They said, oh, we'll never make it. But that was not the purpose. 
what the Lord was doing, it was teaching them. And he was revealing his heart towards a rebellious people whom he refused to never stop loving. This is why they said this day, while you cry, the Lord's celebrating. You would think that if somebody saw that, you think God's making fun of us because we're crying. No. This day is sacred to the Lord, they said. What sacred means that it's a special day, it's a holy day, it's a pure day, it's a specifically prepared day, it's a divine day, it's a day set apart unto the Lord. What's happening right now, they said, is perfect in the plan of God. Why are you crying if God finds perfection in what's happening at this moment? And so he encourages, and the Bible says, to go eat and drink and give portions to those that had nothing prepared. And to look at this day as a great and holy day unto the Lord and do not be grieved. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is their strength. Now, let me just say in passing this morning, ladies and gentlemen, I sometimes think it's just. And we see in the scripture God dealing with people like this at times as well, but not here. It's sometimes good to allow a person to grieve and to spend time in remembrance of their mistake. Because we learn a lesson. Amen. We learn a lesson. There's responsibility in our lives that we have before God. That you just can't simply brush things off knowing that he's a forgiving God. And you think of whatever it is you've done to offend him as something that is nothing. Anyway, God will forgive me. We can't be frivolous that way. can't be flippant about that thought. You can't be just non-caring about that. God cares about our sin. He cares about what we do, and he cares that we be responsible for our walk in him. So there's a time. There's a time for that. So I, I am all for that. But I, I want you to know this morning that I love more the thought, and I want you to remember this. I love more the thought to think that the Lord doesn't want us to live our lives in regret. All of our lives. It's okay to, to at one moment accept the fact that we have broken his heart and we've messed up. And God will know that when he sees a contrite heart. Remember that it was a contrite and broken spirit that God does not and will ever reject. But I love the thought to think that though God knows our mistakes... He wants us to rejoice more in our forgiveness than to dwell on a daily basis regretting and apologizing for who we were before him. This speaks a lot to, to me, ladies and gentlemen. It should speak a lot to those of us who have made mistakes in life. What the Lord helped these people understand through the voice of Nehemiah and the teachers of that day. He said it's glorious to understand how, how wonderful it is to realize that God is so full of love. And full of grace. To learn that God is so ready at every, any given moment to take the chance to bring us all home. The Bible says that they spoke these words to them until they gave them understanding. Understand what? Simply this, ladies and gentlemen. Simply this. A deliberating truth. That God cares about you more celebrating about your salvation than to see you crying about your yesterday. Think about that for a second. 
God cares to see you dancing and rejoicing in the Lord because you are saved than to be moping around telling everyone how horrible you were without him. To live a life of condemnation all the time. Say, well, you know, I was a crackhead. Man. I was a drunk. I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was this or the other. And sometimes it's not you, but sometimes it's people around you who are condemning you all the time. It doesn't matter. What God wants you to understand is that he wants us in a place of celebration. Because what these people thought was a burial was really a resurrection. What these people thought was really a funeral, it really was a party. That's what happened at that moment. God made them to understand that our sins are not more important than the rejoicing we should have in knowing we have been forgiven. If that were not true, the scripture would not say in Luke 15 and 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing. Everybody say more rejoicing. And what does that explain to you? What does that typify to you? That obviously there's a maximum rejoicing. And please notice that what it's going to say here after the maximum, what causes the maximum rejoicing is not the fact that God gave you a baby or that you got a new job, you got a raise, you got a car, got find yourself a good girl to marry. All these blessings that are obviously fringes and great things that God can give you in life. But there is not a, that's not a reason for more rejoicing in heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, he got a good job. There's never been more rejoicing in heaven because he got a raise. Oh, there's more rejoicing because now uh, uh, he's able to take the vacation he wanted or because now his business is being prospered. There's more rejoicing in heaven over a prosperous business. No, that's not what it says. That the greatest celebration that God takes time to celebrate is when someone repents and is born again. That is the greatest reason why the Bible says that heaven rejoices. Again, it goes on to say there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's joy. So if God celebrates salvation, we should always live in the joy of salvation. This is why it's fundamental for us to be happy, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying that life will always treat you so well that you, can all, you always have to be at the highest level of joy. But I, I, you always need to be wrestling towards staying happy within the realm of God. Let me prove it to you again. Let me give you a Nehemiah experience in the New Testament now. Remember the prodigal son? Nobody met the prodigal son. You need to read Luke chapter 15. Some of you need to learn how to read the Bible. That way you can relate to everything I tell you because everything I preach is out of the Bible. I don't make stuff up. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good of a storyteller to fib you around and give you all these creative stories I've invented. No, no. This is all Bible. And everything I've said, you'll find in Scripture. And I would advise you that whenever you sit in front of a pulpit, you make sure that the stories he's telling are in the book. That's what has so many people messed up in this world today. They'll listen to anything that's entertaining. I'm promising you the devil will entertain you in any place, even a church. Come on, somebody. I said the devil will entertain you even in a church. So you make sure that the storytelling... Is more a testimonial than just a creative thought of Scripture. 
But you remember the prodigal son. Let me just paraphrase for those of you who have not read it yet. I pray that you would. Luke chapter 15, you'll read it. But we are told of a man who has two sons at this point. And we're told that the younger of both one day got up and did not want to no longer live under the comfort of his father's home or the regulations and rules of his father's criteria. And so he went to his father. He said, Lord, I want, uh, Father, I want you to give me what is mine. I want my inheritance. And so the father gave him his inheritance, and this boy took off and ran off. And the Bible says that everything he had, he squandered. He, he threw it out. I don't know how he did that, but whatever he was, if he was a gambler or just gave it to the poor, I don't know what he did, but he squandered it all. Every treasure that he had been given by his father, he threw it away. Kind of like the temple. These people had been given a temple, but because of the rebellion, it became rubble. And so the Bible says that after a while, a famine came in the land. And here was this boy out in the woods living out of the house of his father. And he was hungry. He was starving. And he didn't know he had no resources to buy himself, not even a McDonald's. He had nothing for himself, so the only thing he could do is to go sell himself out to some rancher, somebody. So he went and found this guy. He said, I'll give you myself and if you'll just bring me into your home. And so this man, obviously a wicked man, brought him in, but not into his house to the comfort away from the cold in his house by the fireplace and gave him some nice uh, uh, apple strudels and coffee to drink. No, no, no. He brought him in and put him out to feed his pigs. Listen to this story. This is what happens to the backslidden. If you ever get a thought of walking away from God, know that the scripture always talks to us about shadows. Gives us examples of what is in real life. And so he brought him out to feed the pigs. And after a while, time passes, doesn't know. I don't know if it was years, weeks, or days, or whatever it was. But after a while, the Bible says that the boy came to his senses. And he realized, he said, you know, at my father's house... Even the servants had leftovers. The servants had their pantries filled with food. And here I am, probably saying within him, I'm the son of this man. And I'm over here with the pigs and I'm starving. And he repented for what he had done. And he said in his heart, the Bible says, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Now, please allow me to come back even as a servant unto you. Give me whatever position in your house. Only let me come back home. Only let me come back home. So the Bible says in Luke 15 and 18 that he got up and he went. But here's the beauty of this story. You have time for this this morning. Amen. Here's the beauty of this story. When you read God's word, you need to take time to look at what's happening. Here's the beauty of this story. I've already told you the story of this boy and how he changed his mind. He said, I'm going to go back home and tell my dad I messed up. And the Bible says that the father looked outside and at a distance he saw his boy. 
he saw his boy. And you would think that if he was a natural father like, like me, he would say, <laughs> he learned a lesson. There you go. No, déjalo que llegue. Déjalo que se arrime. Ahorita que hablo con este muchacho rebelde. I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. Here he comes. Ahí viene. That's not what the Bible says the father did. The Bible says that when he saw him even at a distance, he was filled with emotion in his heart. And that riled him up so much that he got up from wherever he was and he ran outside the house and ran and found the boy and he caught him and he embraced him and he had kissed him. Now, please listen to the story. This is so good. Watch this. This is so important. Remember the boy said, I'm going to go to my father's house and tell him? I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your boy. Just allow me to, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll wash your car or cut the lawn. I'll do anything. Give me anything. The father takes this boy and he looks at him. And he embraces him and the son begins to talk. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm not even worthy of being called your son. Now there's one more part he was supposed to say, which is, Just allow me to do whatever it is in your house. Take me in as a servant. He didn't get that far. The father, just like Nehemiah, interrupted his time of mourning. Didn't even give a chance to that boy to be able to express his complete regret. He, he didn't give him a chance to even show his total humility. Father, whatever you want me to do, I know I didn't cut the yard. I'll do it now. I'll even clean the mower. I'll clean the garage. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll become your humble servant. Just let me back. The father did not even let him get that far. The, father, the Bible says that the moment the father saw him, And heard his first words. He interrupted him and turned around and he said to his servants, Quick! Get me the finest clothes. Find me a fine ring. Kill a fatted calf. Get the music. Get the mariachi going. Let's get the party started. Why? Because my boy. My boy. My son. Dad, I'm shh. I really shh. My boy. He was dead. He wasn't in my house anymore. Father, shh. He was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, oh, and he's found. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to celebrate. And that teaches us the heart of God every time we come home to him. We spend time sometimes saying, Lord, you know, give me a few hours to explain where I've been and what I've done. God knows. 
If you'll notice, the father did not give him a stubborn and hard, cold shoulder. What do you want? Hungry, you look skinny. You smell, you don't smell like royalty, you smell like a pig. Didn't do that. He didn't give him a crooked finger of accusation and condemnation. The father knew he had been living with pigs. The father knew that he could see his ribs and he was starving. He knew he had no reason to condemn his boy. No desire to condemn his son. Even when the son tried to repent fully to his satisfaction, his father was satisfied with his broken heart. And that's all God needs to see from us when we come to him. That he sees a repentant heart. He doesn't need your explanation. He doesn't need to hear how sorry you are. He doesn't need you to sit down and waste your time giving him your sob stories on how the devil sold you off to live with pigs. He doesn't want you to miss the point. Celebrate. Let yesterday be gone. <laughs> My boy is home. This is why the Bible, there's more rejoicing in heaven. I agree there has to be some kind of accountability for our mess-ups in God. But I want you to know something that I learned from this story. That there's still a greater reason. To celebrate in this life. And that is because of the salvation we have received from Christ. This is why I tell you that joy is a foundation on which our salvation stands. You cannot represent God without being happy. You need to find joy in the simple fact that God wants you. To recognize and understand his heart and how much he loves you. He doesn't want you to spend the rest of your life in apologies. Sometimes our testimonies are filled with nothing but apologies. Oh, if you only knew. And no, he knows. I'm telling you what, man. Oh, gosh, I was horrible. Well, God knows. Instead of telling somebody, you know, I've never been happier. To know that there is a Savior in heaven that loves me so much in spite of what I've done. He's decided, as the scripture says in Romans 4 and 8, blessed is this man who sinned the Lord, never count against him. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to be happy. These people thought that he was edging them out. The Lord just wanted to get quick to the celebration and celebrate that right there amongst a hundred thousand people or how many people they were, that party was going to be a hundred thousand strong. If we would come into this house, ladies and gentlemen, with joy in our hearts because we are saved, our services would be altogether different. Where there is joy in the house, that means that people have knowledge of salvation in the house. When there is sorrow in the house, 
you have a group of people that have missed the point. Did you hear what I said? Ah, it was just a boring service. Well, thanks for the addition. I didn't see you bouncing in when you came into the house. When you have joy in the house, you have people knowledgeable of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. When you come into the house of the Lord, joy is a foundation. Give me five more minutes. Yes? Yes? Joy is found in knowing that he will restore us. And this is it. The, Lord is, the Lord's joy is found in the way of restoration. First, the Holy Spirit will convict us through his word. And our first reaction always when we listen to that is we feel guilt and shame like the prodigal son. But as we have discovered tonight, those feelings of shame and guilt are quickly addressed by the joy that God comes to display in our lives. Making us understand that God is more ready to celebrate the fact that you're alive now than to talk about all the mourning and sorrow you went through yesterday. And so the work of restoration begins. Now, you and I know, and it's a biblical fact, that Israel, the people of Israel, were not ever really known for their perfect, perfect, perfect behavior. It seems like in the scriptures, every other page has to do with some rebellion or some disobedience, some exile, some kind of suffering for these people. But it does not change the fact that God loved them so to continuously and recklessly chase after them. God loved them for so long and even to this day. And God is still trying to make many of them understand how he wants us all, even in this house, to be joyful and happy because he wants to rejoice with his children. He doesn't want you to fill this house with mourning. Whenever we go to God's word, that you should not feel cut in the heart in that way. Unless you've done something wrong, let the Lord find that place in your life where you can truly show God a contrite heart because you've made a mistake. And that's okay. But immediately after that, you find out that God has been reaching out to you just to heal you and to bring you back. In Luke chapter 15, where you find the story of the prodigal son, you find actually three stories given by Christ of three things. The sheep, a coin, and of course, the son. And I want you to notice as you read Luke 15, you'll find that the story ends in each of these three stories with great joy after the lost is found. There was great joy when the sheep was found. There was great joy when the coin was found. There was great joy when the son, the son was found. And so that helps us understand, ladies and gentlemen, that joy comes when we are reunited with the Father. There is a reunion. And whenever there's a reunion, then immediately after that, God begins to restore God begins to build up again. Now the definition of restoration is to bring back to former position or condition. That means a reinstatement or a total restitution. Restoring to an undamaged, unimpaired or an improved condition. That's what restoration means. And this is what God will do with every one of us who will come to him for salvation. 
He will refurbish you. He will make you new. Whatever the devil stole and broke, God will make it new. The Bible tells us as he spoke to the people of Israel, everything that the locust has eaten will be restored to you. Everything. That's why the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone and behold, all things are restored. They are made new. There is restoration in the Lord. You remember that song? He's still working on me. No? Come on, there's some of you that are that old. To make me what I ought to be. It only took him a what? A minute to make the moon and the stars. The earth and whatever and Jupiter and Mars. How happy and loving he must be. He's still Working on me. You know what that working is? Restoration. You think that that prodigal son came into the house and he was just as fit and handsome and his skin was just as smooth as when he left in the first place? Now he was scabby. He was stinky. His hair was a mess. He was cut. His fingers were chapped from working. He had been roughed up by the world he was in. But the next question you have to ask yourself, you think the father left them that way? The father immediately began to give him a dress, a ring, a position, royalty again. He began to feed him so his ribs couldn't be counted anymore. He became plump again and blessed. He began to reveal his royalty and the belongingship to that household. And this is what God will do when we come to him. He won't leave you the way you are. We have that old statement here. and Some of us use this correctly and some of us use it to make excuses. Come as you are. That means if you're this way and you're living a life of transgression, just come as you are. He'll take you just as you are. Well, don't leave the second part out. He will accept you the way you are. But he will not leave you the same way when you got there. He will restore you. He will change you. He will fortify you. He will refurbish you. He will reinstate you. Bring you to a place where you truly fall back into the plan of his will. When God cleanses our hearts, he begins to strengthen us. What does he strengthen, Pastor? Well... Obviously, one of the first things that got you to walk out from God was that you had no strength in your legs to walk after him steadily. And so God is going to restore your strength to walk in righteousness before him. That one thing that God concentrates on restoring. He, he'll restore your hearing from listening to all the invitations and all the noise and distortion in this world. He will fine-tune your hearing to hear the voice of God. Just like you used to hear it. What else will he restore, Pastor? He'll restore your eyesight to keep you away from looking at what's happening in the world. To begin to notice what God is doing in your life for you and through you. Restoration. You know, the Bible says this, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says that only those who remain will be saved. Yes? Does your Bible say that? 
If some of you even read that, only those who remain will be saved. Those who remain till the end, the Bible says, will, will be saved. Let me tell you something. And this will humble us all to a proper position. Not me and not you in this broken body have the will, the strength, or the power to remain till the end on our own merits. There's nothing inside of me that will give me the power and the strength to make it till the end to be saved on my own. But if we allow God to restore us daily, if we allow Him to fix the broken daily pieces of our lives, we'll be able to be strong enough to take another step the next day. You know, I've gone through a lot in my own life, and I know that you have too. Not only have I gone things in my life emotionally, I've got the things in my life physically, as you've seen the past few years of what I've gone through physically. I've gone through things in the church. I've gone uh, through things, tremendously things outside in society. I've gone through a lot of things emotionally. I've got a lot of things just like you. Not, I'm not any more special. All of us have gone through stuff like that. But I want you to know the only thing that keeps me preaching to you every Sunday for the past 30 years, you know what it is? That I allow God every day to restore me, to fix me. Whatever broken pieces in my life, I say, Lord, I can't make it another day. And the Lord says, let, let me fix that. Let me fix that. How do you feel now? Take a deep breath. How do you feel? Yeah. You good? Yeah. Come on, let's go. Yes, sir. And after a little while, you... Lord, it's exhausting. I, I'm beat up. I'm tired. Really? Come here. Let me restore you a little bit more. Let me restore you. Take a deep breath. How do you feel? Yes, sir. Up and at him. Let's go. You and I will never make it to the finish line if you don't allow him to restore your hurts and your pains. Some of you have been hurt in life. Some of you have been broken in life. And you've kept that brokenness and you've never given it to God. This is why your walk is weak. This is why you're easily disassociated with God. This is why you're easily discouraged. This is why any invitation will keep you at home to hang around with your friends. This is why anything will discourage you from coming to the house of God. This is what anything will keep you from praying, keep you from reading God's word, keep you from testifying, keeping you from give, being a witness, it keep you from singing a joyful song. It keeps you from it because you're broken and you've been carrying that brokenness for a long time I'm here to tell you God will give you joy as you allow him to restore you give it to him let him fix those broken pieces those things that make you cry 
those things that disappoint you, those things that people have done, others around you have hurt, things that you've gotten into yourself and you've hurt yourself, give them to God. God will restore you, ladies and gentlemen. Young people, God will restore you. Dad, God will restore you. Mom, God will restore you. That's how he gives us joy. This is when you can say the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because every time he fixes a broken part of my life, I have the strength to walk another day in righteousness before him. So many people have walked away from God because they got broke. And nobody was around them to tell them, don't run. Take it to him. Let him fix it. You'll regain your strength. And there are today people outside of the hospital walking around wounded and bleeding and hurting without joy. Broken in their lives. Away from their relationship with God. All because they've not experienced the restoration of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He wants to give you that joy. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I don't know where you're at in your heart today. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the extent of your pain or your brokenness. I don't even know how you're surviving to make it another day to church without really living in that joy, only by God's grace. But God wants to change that for us today. God wants you to know. He wants us to understand, just like this people, very important lessons we learned today. I pray you take them to heart. We first learn how detrimental it is to walk away from God. The people of Israel found themselves in exile. They were in a foreign country because they walked away from God. We need to learn that the next time we think about running from God, God, you're going to lose yourself somewhere in this world and you're going to be amongst the soil of this sinful world. Secondly, they learned that There's a reckless love in the heart of God for you that he loves you so much that he chases after you in spite of. That he is committed to not let you backslide properly, but he's always going to bring conviction into your heart wherever you're at to help you to understand that he loves you. We can learn that when we read God's word and it's a tough word and it challenges us, that there are places it'll go in our life that will bring us conviction. And at the moment, it will bring us shame and guilt because God wants that repentance. He wants to see that broken heart. But immediately you will find when you have understanding that everything and all things work out together for good. That when God gives you a word and it's a tough word at times, that it's quickly... To show you what went wrong, but to show you how more willing he is to you rejoice as he makes you alive again. The lesson we can learn is that 
These people of Israel were broken a lot of times. Gosh. A whole book was written, written about their failures. Whole book. I mean, these guys have nothing to brag on. They're great, great conquests in the scripture. They made a lot of mistakes we could really, really hone in on. But you know what's greater than that? It's not what they've done and the mistakes that people made. But the magnitude of God's love for them and for us. You think we couldn't sit here, ladies and gentlemen, and point fingers to each and every other one for the mistakes we've made? Uh, I promise you we'd stay here for a while. But instead of that, God would have us rejoice together as one people who have been redeemed. And allow him to feel that joy of regaining his children just like that father. Even if you're trying to humble yourself and say, Lord. You know, I hear some people say, you know, man, I don't know. I just hope God, even if he allows me to cut his grass in heaven, I just want to make it. God's grass doesn't need cutting. Ah, Lord, if you'll just let me in heaven, I'll wash your car. I promise. God's car isn't dusty. There is no dirt in heaven. His lawn is always perfect. I'll wash your laundry. Everything is purified and clean. No need. He's not going to hire you like that rancher to bring you in to work amongst the soil. He's going to bring you in as a son. He's going to clothe us, the Bible says, in righteousness. He's going to put a crown on our heads. He's going to put a ring on our fingers. He's even going to give us a new name. We're going to hear that great benediction. Well done, good and faithful servant. My son is alive. And it's going to be one day, not day and night, not many days. It's going to be one long eternal day of rejoicing in the presence of your loving father. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord. Say like you understand it now. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Every hand lifted to heaven. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.